0: The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John chapter 1, verse 14. This is the Essential Bible Studies podcast. My name is Jay Mayock.
1: And I'm Tim Young. Hello, Tim. Uh, Hello, Jay. (laughs) Great to be on your podcast.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for (laughs) for joining us. This is great. This is like a part two, right?
1: This is part two, yeah. This is
0: part two because we talked quite a bit about John chapter one, verse one in our last podcast, which you will recall was entitled, In the Beginning Was the Word. And we talked about the original beginning. Yeah. The plan and purpose of God was all there in his mind personified that wisdom inside his mind. It was personified as a woman in the book of Proverbs, as you shared with us. And also, we saw how there's a personification happening all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, about the Word of God, and also moving into the Gospel of John. So, I think we found last time that the Word is definitely the Logos. That's the Greek word. The Word is an expression of the thoughts and the wisdom of God. And the Word is really who He is. It's how God reveals Himself to us. And also, we saw that love is who He is, light is who He is. And so, it all starts with God. We come to know Him, His love, His light, through that Word. So, everything that the Word is love and light, grace and truth, everything that the Word is was revealed, just as this verse says. In flesh and blood, when the Word became flesh. That's what we're going to talk about yeah. right
1: now. Yeah, that's a nice little recap. I think when you're talking about John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's very important to connect that with verse
0: 14.
1: Yes. The whole context and the section, because verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So in the last podcast, we're spending a bit of time understanding that verse 1, how it's not really talking about a a physical Jesus that existed before the beginning of the world and was part of the Trinity. Right. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, that might be challenging to some of you, but you need to start back there to understand some of the ways that Scripture uses this personification, those kind of things. Right. But also to connect it with verse 14. Because this is where Jesus becomes a reality in a person. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So, this idea of the Word became flesh, this word flesh here is important, isn't it? Especially in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, that He was born of a woman, that He was flesh and blood like you and I. This becomes central to who. Jesus Christ is and how God is bringing salvation through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that he is flesh and blood. Right.
0: Yeah. And and actually, it's John later who writes in one of his epistles in chapter one that knowing and understanding and confessing that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is an essential part of the truth. This is not a minor detail of the story of the Bible and the plan of God. This is It's key into how it is that we can become part of the new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Right. So when I think of that verse, I also think of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, because on that similar kind of subject about the importance of Jesus being flesh, about the word becoming flesh, Hebrews 2 verse 14 really, really emphasizes this about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, since therefore the children, that's you and I, Mm -hmm. since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise, now that's Jesus, Mm -hmm. he himself likewise partook of the same things. Flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. And there's a real emphasis there, isn't it? Mm -hmm. He himself likewise really equating that the nature of Jesus with our nature. He partook of the same things. Why? That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. So it's really important part of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Right that he was a man, that he was flesh and blood. He was not an angel, as it says here in verse 16, Mm -hmm. because he had to go through the same temptations we did and overcome that way, right? Yeah, an angel
0: can't be tempted. Ah. right. An angel is deathless and immortal. Immortal, right. An angel couldn't accomplish this. But being flesh and blood is really the key. And if we just stay in Hebrews here and move over a couple of chapters into... Chapter 4, we read a little bit more about what it means to be flesh and blood. And, you know, there's a very important passage that I'll allude to right now, a very well known passage in the Epistle of James, where James says that God cannot be tempted with evil. Yes, right. He can't be tempted, he cannot die. Yeah. He's immortal. In chapter 2, we read that the Lord Jesus Christ was flesh and blood. And we read here in Hebrews chapter 4, it says in verse 14 about him, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet, Without sin. So when the Lord Jesus Christ was flesh and blood, because he was born of a woman, as you said, because he was made in the likeness of men, and he had a nature like what we do, he was able to be tempted. Now, God couldn't be tempted. An angel couldn't be tempted. But in order to have a victory over sin and death, which Jesus did have, he had to be able to be tempted. So that's really the key. That is, for Jesus to be flesh and blood, he had to have mortal Sinful flesh, as scripture describes, flesh that's temptable, that can be tempted from within, and also capable of dying, corrupting, just as all of humanity has been. And that is really why his obedience is such a wonder, because even possessing that nature, the same nature that we do, mortal and sinful, he was 100% all the time completely obedient to his father. Yeah. All the time. Right and never gave in to any of the temptations that he experienced in the days of his flesh. So it's one of the most important keys to understanding his victory. He had to be victorious where all of us have failed in our nature, in our mortal and sinful nature. He, possessing that exact same stuff, flesh and blood, overcame. And that's the secret of his victory, really.
1: Right is really a meaningful victory, like I said. So we've been dealing with this concept of the Trinity Mm -hmm. in the other class and in this one. And really, just looking at Scripture as a whole and how it emphasizes the nature of Jesus Christ, it always emphasizes the nature of Jesus Christ as being flesh and blood Mm -hmm. for this very purpose of overcoming sin in the very battleground where it's taking place and overcoming. It never the bible never i mean prove me wrong yep never talks about jesus having to be in the nature of god to be a perfect sacrifice exactly this whole idea of the trinity talking about the nature of god is i think where it's really going off scripture yep and just getting back to in the last podcast we had a definition of the trinity from a article called the doctrine of the trinity in a mm-hmm. nutshell and i just wanted to Say it again. I think it's a good basic definition of what the Trinity that an Orthodox type of Christian would refer to. It says, Christians worship one God who eternally exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all of whom are fully God, all of whom are equal. And when a Trinitarian uses that phrase, all of whom are fully God... They're talking that they share the exact same nature. Right. And even the person in the article mentions how this is confusing, and, and it is. Because yeah. to me, really, if Jesus is God himself in nature, and he overcame sin, then I'm kind of like, well, what's the big deal? Yeah, God overcame sin. Right. <laughs> right. But if Jesus was flesh and blood, like you and I, yeah. and he overcame Now that is remarkable. It's remarkable. And something to follow.
0: And it's inspiring. And that is part of the encouragement that we get from the New Testament about the work of the Lord Jesus, that that is supposed to be an example for us to do what he did. Not that we can do that perfectly because we cannot, but that's our example. That's what we're supposed to to strive after. So I think we've ruled out in looking through this, we've ruled out that Jesus was God himself. Right, we've definitely ruled that out because Jesus, as flesh and blood, did not have that nature of his father. He was temptable. He was able to die, as we've seen. Yeah, we've ruled out in our last podcast that Jesus had a conscious, personal preexistence.
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: so he didn't exist as an individual. Although in a certain sense, he was always there in the mind of his father. But yeah. as far as having a conscious, personal preexistence, that wasn't there. It wasn't until, as we look at verse 14 in John chapter 1, that the word, that plan, the purpose, the logos of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, we and all the apostles beheld his glory. That is, That's when Jesus began his existence, if you will his personal existence upon the earth.
1: Well, let me just ask you one thing, because this is a phrase I hear by Trinitarians too, is what about like he was the God-man, or he was 100% God and 100% man. What do you think about that?
0: Well, I think if we're willing to accept, if people are willing to accept two ideas that are completely contradictory, you can believe that. But I I don't think that scripture, as we've said before, would invite us into that kind of confusion. (laughs) Right. Uh, Because we're told that God is not the author of confusion. We're not asked to receive things that are unreasonable. God has encouraged us, and he's actually challenged us in lots of places, to go back to the scriptures and reason through it so that we can be convicted about what we read and understand it.
1: Let me ask you another question, because this is another concern, right? That by saying what you and I are saying, we're diminishing Christ in some way, that we're not giving him the full glory, that we're just saying that he's just a man. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're saying?
0: It's a great question. And if we left it just at that, I think the charge would be justified. That if yeah. we if we just simply said that he was just mortal and sinful flesh and he overcame right. by sheer willpower, it's much more than that.
1: Right. No man can by himself do that, right?
0: Exactly. And the Lord himself so many times spoke about how it was that his father— was greater than him, yeah. And, and that is the key. He was not falsely humble where he gives the glory to his father. He sincerely believed and genuinely trusted in his father, and all the way through scripture we read about how it was that he was not just a regular guy as we were. He did have our nature, flesh and blood, temptable, mortal, but he was a specially created and strengthened man. Yeah. That's how scripture describes him, specially created and strengthened. And he was strengthened in a way that no other man has ever been strengthened. And actually, it's John that speaks about that in John chapter 3, where he says that Jesus was given the spirit, the power of God without measure. I mean, can you imagine that? Yeah. All that that little expression entails. It wasn't meted out to him. He had full access to all the power of the Spirit of God. So it was God who had filled him and invested him with his wisdom and his understanding and his um, well as it's described here in John chapter 1 at verse 14. Yeah. And his glory, right? right. So that, that's what it says here. It says that we beheld his glory. So that really that leads to the question: like, what in the world is what is glory? And It's the perfect question to ask here because it helps us to understand who Jesus was.
1: Yeah, I think because it's bringing out the specialness of Jesus. Because the word became flesh could be said of no other man. That's exactly right. And it's really infusing, like you were saying, that God was in Christ. Yes. Reconciling the world to himself. Yeah. Not that God was Christ, Mm -hmm. but God was in Christ. Yes. And that's... To show forth this glory, like you're saying. What is the glory?
0: There's lots of different ways to look at it. I would suggest the two primary ideas behind the glory is the moral glory of God himself and the physical glory of God himself. Right. Those two aspects, when we look at Jesus, his identification with both of those aspects of glory tell us the story of what the new creation is all about.
1: That's interesting you mentioned the moral glory because last season we did a podcast called Show Me Thy Glory. Yes. And it's on Exodus 33 and 34, Mm -hmm. and we kind of go through that. And it shows us that glory has a moral aspect. Yeah, And when you go back there to Exodus 34 and verse 6, which is the key passage Mm – This is where Moses ascends into Mount Sinai, and the Lord appears to him, and it says there in verse 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Mm -hmm. So, God reveals his moral qualities as his glory. In this passage. So that kind of wraps up that podcast in a, yes. a nutshell. Yeah. But you take that verse, who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, abounding. Yes. And you come back here to John 1, verse 14, and it says, we saw his glory. He was full of grace and truth. Yep. The words are a little bit different, but I think you have to see the echo. Yes. In John one fourteen, that's going back to Exodus 34 and verse 6. For sure. And you realize that the glory that we're seeing is not Jesus Christ himself being very God in nature, right? It's really this manifestation of the whole qualities and characteristics that were in Jesus Christ, that when we saw everything he said and everything he did was a reflection of who God is. exactly.
0: And it's that glory as seen in Jesus Christ himself, full of grace and truth, that is the glory that God intends all of creation to be filled with. He wants the whole world yes. to be filled with his grace and his truth. And that's actually, that's the wider purpose of God.
1: This new creation we were talking that's about the before, new, yeah, in the it. last one, yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's so many passages that speak about that. I know that you've covered them in this podcast because they're so important. But, you know, the prophets speak about a day. Moses, Isaiah, Habakkuk, David in the Psalms when the earth shall be filled with the knowledge and with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. It will happen when grace and truth will cover the earth.
1: That's Numbers 14, verse 21, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's incredible. So that's part of the plan and purpose of God, for sure, that those who would submit to him and become related to him through the Lord Jesus Christ would be filled with the moral glory of God after the example of his son. That's only half the story, Tim.
1: Yeah, because there's the physical glory as well. Yeah. You mentioned. Yeah. Yep. And there's lots
0: of passages we could go to show this. But one of them is in Second Peter chapter 1. This is a recollection of the Apostle Peter about one of the most dramatic moments in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was so dramatic that only a few disciples got to experience this vision, this event that he's recounting.
1: Yeah. And Peter was one of them. And Peter yeah. was
0: one of them. And it was so significant in what it meant that Jesus himself, after it took place, said, you can't tell anybody about this until I rise from the dead. Yeah. So it's a pretty significant moment. And it was when he took a few of his disciples up into a mountain and he prayed. And as he prayed, something happened to Jesus physically. And so in Second Peter Chapter 1, at verse 16, the Apostle Peter says that we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, he's not just talking about the general ministry of Jesus. He's talking about a specific moment. He says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory... This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So this was that great moment known as the transfiguration. Yeah, And in that moment, Jesus was, for a moment, it appeared to be physically transformed. His garments completely changed. And that pointed forward to a time when Jesus would be completely Physically transformed. It was a little taste of what it was going to be like in the future.
1: I'm just soaking that in. You said he was going to be physically transformed. Yep. Uh, because he was the firstborn from the dead. In his mm-hmm. resurrection, he was changed from being this, having died to being immortal yeah. at that point.
0: He was mortal, flesh and blood, right?
1: Yeah. And that transfiguration was. A vision of that of what was going to happen. But that yeah I mean, that just makes me think because Jesus being the firstborn from the dead, that first means that there's gonna be others.
0: That's exactly right. Because right. there's
1: a whole resurrection that happens. So this glory is not only associated with Jesus Christ, but it's associated with us, hopefully.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right?
1: Because there's that passage in Philippians chapter three as an example. Philippians chapter 3 and verses 20 and 21, where it's talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ back to earth when the resurrection's going to happen and the judgment and then the giving of this immortal life, right? Yep. But here in in Philippians 3 verse 20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And there it is. And how does he do that? By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Yeah. Oh, there it is. I mean, that, that's such a, a deep, impactful verse there. But yeah. yeah. So like he was transformed into a glorious body. Paul's saying here, we're going to be transformed from this lowly or humble body to this also a glorious body. Right. Right. So that's interesting because when we talk about the nature of God, right, Jesus has the nature of God now. Exactly.
0: Now he does.
1: And we're also going to be partakers of the divine nature. Yeah. After the resurrection, we're given immortality. That's right.
0: It's pretty amazing. And that will be the culmination of the new creation for those that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been transformed morally. Into the glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And later, in the same way that he was transformed when he was resurrected from the dead. So there's a moral and a physical glory. And you know what the apostles saw? They saw both of
1: those things. The apostles saw both of those things.
0: What do you mean? Well, they saw the moral and the physical glory oh, okay. of Christ. Yeah. They saw and they handled them. Remember, they didn't even they didn't believe it at first. After he rose from the dead and was given that divine nature, that immortal body, they were able to touch him and handle him and know for sure and see that he ate food in front of them and then the food was gone when he vanished, right? Yeah. Yeah. So all of those things happened. We beheld his glory full of grace and truth, that moral glory. But they also beheld his glorified body as well Mm. uh, after that. And John talks about that later on in his first epistle.
1: Well, it makes sense he would do that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it does. It does. Remember, we, we've had a look at the early portion of the Gospel of John in chapter one. And I'm just going to read the first three verses of First John chapter one slowly, just so that we can think about all the things that we've learned about the word and the purpose of God and the, the life that is contained in that word. Because that's what the Apostle John is reflecting on now, having seen the moral glory of God, the physical glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he says, talking about the very beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was manifest and we have seen it. We beheld his glory, right? He says. Okay, yeah. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, proclaim we also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ.
1: It's almost like First John is doing a little explanation of John chapter one. There, yeah, he starts out the same way, and because he mentions that which was from the beginning. Yep. But the beginning is the ministry of Jesus. Exactly. Like we have heard, we've seen with our eyes, we looked and we touched with our hands. Yep. This word of life. Mm-hmm. It's
0: the new creation. And, and
1: Yeah, the new creation.
0: Through that preaching, through that word, invite anybody else to the apostles' doctrine to believe those same things and to go through that same transformation of a moral glory and later when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, a physical glory as well. Right. And that is how the purpose of God ultimately will, will be fulfilled
1: I was just looking at that end of verse 2 as well, because we talk about the real principle is about God being manifest, right? right? That God is revealing himself through angels and prophets, and ultimately through his Son. He's manifested his full glory. Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand this principle of God manifestation, but it's here as well, because at the end of verse 2, when he says... That which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So there's that principle again. We're yeah. talking about God manifestation that yeah. we've talked about in other podcasts, but it's here too. And it's it's really the way that we should be understanding this. The, the Trinity, in its definition, is really not the way to understand no. this. God manifestation is the way to understand this.
0: And if we're going to summarize it, Trinity versus God manifestation, that's a great way to put it. That's where the emphasis has to be. The Trinity, it is mysterious. We're kind of left where we <laughs> began. I mean, that It's writer, confusion, yeah. It is confusion. I mean, that writer was right in the sense that it's confusing. It cannot be understood because God doesn't intend us to understand it like that at all. Right. He's revealed himself in a very particular way, and I think that John helps us a lot right. to understand and that. And I
1: think it's very simple. We can understand it and it's beautiful and it ties in with the whole mm-hmm. plan and, and way of salvation that God has brought through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah. yeah. Great, Jay. Thanks for your help in understanding John chapter one. Thank you. It's yeah, been fun. It's been great. It always is. As, uh, always is. Thanks. <laughs> See ya. Jay and I hope that this podcast has been a blessing to you. We're so glad that you've taken the time to focus on God and his word and pray that you'll continue with us. If you're enjoying the podcast or have any questions, we'd love to hear from you. Go to www.essentialbiblestudies.org and fill out that contact form. Podcasts are great, but it's even better studying the Bible with friends. If you would like to join us for a live Zoom online Bible study, then go to our website at www.essentialbiblestudies.org to see the times and how to connect in. Each episode of the podcast has some special artwork associated with it. If you'd like to see it, then you should follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. We post it when each new show comes out. We're giving away some free essential Bible study media kits. What's a media kit? Well, we're going to send you a little packet filled with business cards, stickers, and bookmarks. It's a really cool way to share the podcast with others. All you have to do is send us your mailing address using our website contact form, or direct message us on Instagram or Facebook. The Essential Bible Studies podcast is recorded in Ancaster, Ontario, Canada and is sponsored by the Book Road Christadelphian Ecclesia. If you're ever in the neighborhood, you must drop by for a visit. More info on our location, times, and webcast are at bookroadchristadelphians.ca. That's www. Road, Christadelphians all one word, dot ca. Until we meet again, dear friends, I pray to God that you may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.